always playing something by Bach, of course, because as uh, your audience and all of us know, his works are wonderful for developing just finger technique, which is kind of piano 101, right? So I was always playing it, and I actually snuck a peek at my teacher's notebook one time uh, and to see that she evaluated me as playing Bach well. And I was a kid at the time, but I really remember that because as kids, we remember being validated. And I grew up in a country where people didn't always give you positive feedback, so it really stuck in my mind. And I guess I had an affinity for Bach. I liked playing Bach. I did hear whatever it is that one needs to kind of get, absorb musically. And it really appeals to somebody because of the way it penetrates our minds, and it really brings us to a different kind of a sphere, I think, because of the polyphony, because of the equal voices creating this confluence of messages that I think we kind of take in with a special part of our brain, if I may say so. I'm Ben Capolo, and welcome to All Keyed Up, Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I will be speaking with Eleanor Bindman. Eleanor Bindman is a recording artist, performer, and teacher based in New York City. She maintains a private studio in Park Slope, Brooklyn. In addition to giving private lessons, Ms. Bindman has been a piano faculty member at a number of different music schools, including the 92nd Street Y School of Music, Borum Hill Talent Education Studios in Brooklyn, the Academy of Music at Ramapo College, New Jersey, the Essex Conservatory in Leonia, New Jersey, and the Elaine Kaufman Cultural Center in New York City. She has conducted piano master classes in various venues, including Steinway Hall in New York City, and served on juries for young performers' competitions. Feynman's recording of her arrangement of the J.S. Bach Brandenburg Concertos for Piano Duet with pianist Jenny Lin was declared, quote, breathtaking in its sheer precision and vitality by Pianist Magazine and quickly became the best-selling album for the label Grand Piano in 2018. The success and reach of the Brandenburg duets led Beinman to create Stepping Stones to Bach, a multi-volume set of easy and intermediate piano arrangements of J.S. Bach masterworks, which included the first transcriptions that led to her 2020 release, J.S. Bach, Cello Suites for Solo Piano, which made its debut on the Billboard traditional classical charts at number seven. She also offers a weekly Monday Morning Bach video series with an associated Facebook group and YouTube channel. Her latest recording project features J.S. Bach's complete partitas for keyboard and will be released later this year. Eleanor, thanks so much for joining today. I'm delighted to be here, especially in time for Bach's birthday. Thank you for having me, Ben. Today, I'd like to talk about Bach. You've devoted a very substantial portion of your career to Bach, both performing works by Bach yourself and offering resources for teaching Bach to others. Nowadays, it's basically universally acknowledged that Bach is one of the greatest composers to ever live, but during his lifetime, he was nowhere near as prominent, and he was known more for his virtuosic organ playing than his compositions. And when he died, his intense contrapuntal style was kind of going out of fashion, so what do you think caused a renewed interest in him over the past few hundred years, and what inspired you to place such a focus on Bach in your career? Well, I think you're absolutely right. Of course, Bach is a composer like no other. And I think that um, even though we think that there's been renewed interest, there has always been interest. It's just that our means of communications have evolved so incredibly that, of course, now, as you know, at a push of a button, we can connect to any information we can. Of course, during Bach's lifetime, 
He was a working man. He came from a family of a musicians, kind of by trade. In those days, children very often assumed their parents' skills as far as their um, livelihood. And as we know, Bach produced many children, at least three of whom became very well-known composers in their lifetimes. And um, they are responsible for partially keeping his legacy well known. I think we know that CPE Bach has edited and issued a book about how to play Bach and his ornamentations. And in my stepping stones to Bach, I quote him about talking about his father. And if we think about it, we know the famous Beethoven quote about Bach, um, that he shouldn't be called a brook, but an ocean, because of course his last name in German mm -hmm. means brook. So I think... Um, that you can surmise from what I'm saying that there has always been interest in musicians in Bach and definitely all of the wonderfully first basic composers, especially of the piano canon that we have, knew Bach and studied him. And I think Mendelssohn is credited with reviving mainly Bach's orchestral work. And of course for Bach, his orchestral work was work. He composed something for church every time so I think it just took time for his orchestral output to be really widely known to a wide audience. But as far as his significance to musicians like us, I don't really think it ever ceased. Oh, I didn't know that. So you're saying that Mendelssohn's sort of uh, creating an interest in Bach was really more the orchestral works than the keyboard works? Well, I think that he's known to have performed, I believe it was the B minor mass. Um, yeah. You know, we should look this up. Um, in public, and that revived, you know, the press, the common interest in Bach. But I think as far as musicians, um, Schumann, for example, has done some studies on the Bach cello suites. And of course, uh, some people think that until Casals recording them, nobody knew about them, which is not really true. But mm -hmm. these are stories that I think sound interesting to us, and um, we tend to remember these types of details. But the world of music and musicians uh, is its own little circle. I so see. there's the musicians who always knew about Bach because obviously, as you said, he's the universally recognized the beginning of all incredible quality music. And then the general public caught on a little later. Hmm. And can you talk about specifically in your career what's inspired you to place such an emphasis on Bach? Well, things just happened, you know, I grew up in Riga, Latvia, in the former Soviet Union, and I went uh, to a music school for especially, quote-unquote, gifted children uh, since I was uh, four years old, and we, every year in, the, in that school, there was a test, a piano skills test that we needed to pass of, it was called Bach and Studies, so we were always playing something by Bach, of course, because as uh, your audience and all of us know, his works are wonderful for developing just finger technique, which is kind of piano 101, right? Mm -hmm. So I was always playing it, and uh, I actually snuck a peek at my teacher's notebook one time uh, and to see that she evaluated me as playing Bach well. And I was a kid at the time, but I really remember that because as kids, we remember being validated. And I grew up in a country where people didn't always give you positive feedback, so it really stuck in my mind. And I guess I had an affinity for Bach. I liked playing Bach. I did hear whatever it is that one needs to kind of get, absorb musically. And it really appeals to somebody because of the way it penetrates our minds, and it really brings us to a different kind of a sphere, I think, because of the polyphony, because of the equal voices creating this confluence of messages 
that I think we kind of take in with a special part of our brain, if I may say so. Yes, I completely agree about the polyphony. Now, I have to ask about what is, I believe, probably one of the most written about by academics topics in all of music, which is articulations and dynamics in Bach. As we know, these are a bit more up in the air than they might be for some later composers. In your arrangements of Bach pieces, you write in many articulations and dynamics, which is definitely helpful for the students. Uh, so I'm interested, when you are creating your arrangements, can you talk about your process of choosing articulations and dynamics? And can you talk about if how that overlaps with how you work through articulations and dynamics when you're working with your own students on performing pieces by Bach? Yes, that's a really great question, and I wish I had a very simple answer, but I would have to say that it really depends on the context, because my arrangements um, are derivatives sometimes of orchestral works, sometimes of orchestral and choral works like the cantatas, sometimes of other instrumental works, and I believe that Bach wrote differently for different instruments and different you know, groups of players because he was, of course, aware of the different properties of the instrument. So in my Stepping Stones to Bach, which are largely transcriptions of non-keyboard works, of course, um, I do a lot more with the dynamics and articulation because the source, the music, came from instruments that, for example, can play one note for a long time, like a wind or a string player. You can do a crescendo literally in one note and of course, wonderfully in a phrase, whereas in keyboard works, Bach's, uh, in Bach's time, every keyboard instrument was more or less limited to a specific range. Of course, the organ had a specific sound, and the harpsichord had a very small sound, and you could not do a crescendo. So what I try to do is to think about the essence of the music, because I try to do Bach justice and not put in any of my own fantasies or likes or dislikes as much as I possibly can. So, for example, in my cello suites transcription, I actually put no articulation at all or no dynamics. I do have notes that suggest certain things and explain why, um, but I don't think these things should be arbitrary. I think they should depend on the context. And, of course, box music by its nature is so technically and universally pliable. It sounds good without pedal, of course. You know, Chopin could not sound good if you just played it mechanically, one note at the right time. But Bach said that all you need to do is play the right notes at the same time and music will play itself. I have not heard that quote. Okay. He okay. said, all, all you need to do is play the right notes and the right time and the music will play itself. And I think for his music, it's absolutely true. Uh, for Beethoven's music, it's somewhat true, but really for the later composers where music is really based on emotion mm. and the for, uh, content rather than form, um, it really uh, it does not hold true. So it's really his own music that will play itself, and you don't have to really vary the articulation or dynamic. That reminds me of I was reading Charles Rosen recently, and he was talking about not just Bach, but Baroque music. And I believe the quote was uh, that Baroque music is a dramatic image, whereas classical music is a dramatic scenario. And I guess the idea being that there aren't these big, huge changes that the performer has to be responsible for um, in a work by Bach that there would be in a work by Beethoven. So you don't have quite the same dramatic baggage to work through. And I think that speaks a little bit to what you're saying about the music can play itself. 
I would like to turn to your arrangements of works by Bach. Uh, we alluded to this earlier that you have stepping stones for Bach and many easy piano arrangements and transcriptions of his works. Can you speak about these arrangements and transcriptions a bit? Of course, they're all very different and everything started with the Brandenburg Concerto transcription for, for piano duet, um, really simply because there was an existing version which I really wanted to play with my partner, my piano duet partner, and we've tried to play the Max Rager version, which is still sometimes being sold, although it's out of print, and we realized that we couldn't play it. Um, I'm sure a lot of your, um, a lot of piano teachers teach duets to siblings, and, and they know that at some point with music that's really good and a little bit more complicated, it's very nice to give the piano duet partners equal roles. So the Rager version really did not give equal roles to different partners, plus the primo part was extremely difficult and really impossible to convey or to see the polyphony. So to make a long story short, I ended up doing my own version of that and recording it, and it took almost three years for me to complete, but wow. I was very much driven by a very, very fervent <laughs> desire to play this wonderful music because the Brandenburg concertos are just terrific and the forehand piano repertoire really doesn't have that many chunks, many bodies of work, for, of, uh, bodies of work by great composers. We have the Schubert works and then we have the Mozart sonatas, the forehand, but here we have the six Brandenburg concertos, which are so terrific, and they exist in print, but nobody plays them. You will see no YouTube videos, no recordings of any famous pianist who regularly play duets because they're just impossible. So anyway, I realized that I needed to do that, and I did that in three years. And along the way, I actually had some of my friends who knew I was in the process I had them ask me to make smaller transcriptions for them. For example, the Gotha's Zeit uh, from one of the cantatas. So in a way to just kind of take a break from that, I started doing shorter transcriptions. And um, I realized, because a lot of my friends and my students, uh, amateur pianists, adults, told me that the existing transcriptions are too difficult for them. And um, I ended up trying to make transcriptions that were really pianistic, that did not have any extraneous elements, and also weren't too difficult, that you don't need to be a professional to play it. You know, you don't need to be able to reach a, a tenth, like with the Busonia or Rachmaninoff transcriptions, you know, because really most of the Bach transcriptions that we know were closed down during the Romantic era, where pianists and virtuosity were in their prime, and all of those wonderful pianists used their arsenal of being tremendously the, the top you know, pianists in the world to make these transcriptions. So what about the rest of us who can't reach the 10th or, or don't practice 10 hours yeah. a day for decades? You know? So um, I actually hurt my back about a year ago and, and couldn't do much. And that really gave um, rise to the stepping stones to Bach because I realized that I, it would be wonderful to make just one-page transcriptions of well-known, wonderful Bach pieces where I could find a theme that would be kind of self-contained, that would be finished, that I could make up a cadence for, that people would benefit from playing. So what ended up as a result is that now I actually get a lot of thank you notes, especially for adult amateurs who love the Easter Oratorio or who love the St. Matthew's Passion or the cello suites, who finally are able to reproduce that music that they love 
in their own homes at their own piano, and they don't have to practice for months to get there. Well, that's interesting. I've had multiple guests on this podcast before who have made easy piano arrangements of different pieces, and the impetus was always their students. It seems like, if I'm understanding you correctly, at least the original impetus was actually for yourself, and then you sort of translated it to your students. Absolutely. The, the impetus for the more difficult transcriptions was for myself, but then after years of having students struggle, having students struggle with counterpoint, which is very difficult to coordinate, some people actually, some of my piano students, there was a handful, they have just not been able to coordinate the two hands in Bach. So I realized that it's important not to stress people sometimes, and there's so much Bach that could be presented in a certain way without changing it and still be a gratifying pianistic experience. So it ended up for myself and for other people. Of course, there are different degrees of difficulty depending mm -hmm. on the source. I do want to touch on what you were bringing up as far as the polyphony, because I assume that would be a challenge when creating easy piano arrangements of box work. It's not like some later pieces where it's very easy to just take the melody and put it in the right hand and then create a basic accompaniment pattern for the left hand. In many cases in Bach, it is very contrapuntal. Can you talk about the process of simplifying music like Bach's as compared to maybe simplifying a work by a later composer that's more melody driven? That's actually a very interesting question because before I started transcribing Bach, I didn't realize that a lot of his orchestral music or other instrumental music actually is not as polyphonic in a strict sense as they were used to on the piano. You know, because when he himself was playing the organ or teaching the keyboard, of course, the playing the organ was a great job to have in those days. So, and of course, the organ has the pedals and the different manuals. So his keyboard works abound in a specific type of polyphony, which is difficult to coordinate. But when I try to transcribe, of course, I need to choose something that will be, that will translate well to the keyboard. So a lot of his orchestral pieces and interludes that I um, arrange for the Stepping Stones to Bach are pieces where, for example, there's a flute solo and then just two oboes accompanying it. And it only happens for about 32 measures, but that's perfect for the kind of arrangement that I want. So it actually ends up very pianistic with the melody in the right hand mm. and an accompaniment in the left hand because it's not coming from Bach's keyboard brain. It's coming from his orchestral brain. And um, in the case with Stepping Stones to Bach, I just kind of, first of all, of course, I had to find a piece that would be suitable. Once I look at a score, I could kind of figure out right away, um, will this be viable on the piano as a simple piece? Um, but then what I would start with is always the bass line because you have to have that. And then I chose from the, then there's the melodic line. And then if there was something else that could be included and had to be, then I did it. But I basically stripped things down as opposed to adding things on. And then, of course, made things sound very authentic. I want to stay on these transcriptions that you're talking about. One advantage that you describe on your website for these transcriptions is that it forces students to not get locked into five finger positions. Um, so on your website, you have a post where you discuss some of your, I would say, aversion in a way to methods that stay in five finger positions for too long. Can you elaborate on what your concerns are with placing too much emphasis on five finger positions and how some of your transcriptions of Bach's work can work against that? 
Thank you, Ben. Yes, I actually, um, the word aversion uh, may be off-putting for some, to, for some people, but in a way it does describe my feeling very well. Um, you know, I have a master's degree in piano pedagogy from SUNY New Paltz, and um, it was very helpful for me as a teacher for many reasons, but of course one of them was that we actually took a survey of different piano methods, and this was, you know, in the 1990s, so of course now there are many more wonderful new methods. But what I found was that traditional piano methods from earlier, which some people still teach from, really focus on the five-finger position for several series of books. And um, I did not grow up that way because the quote-unquote Russian school of music Bible, which we all um, went through in the Soviet Union, does not even start with a five-finger position from the first page. They start alternating hands. And oh, right from the get-go? Yes, but they alternate hands playing one melody, which is actually uh, two hands playing one melody all over the keyboard or one melodic line, let's say, is really what the cello suites are all about, So, which is why my transcription of the cello suites is really suitable for the very beginners. So the five-finger position has two issues. Um, one is the note reading, because, of course, even though some children are very young, when they're four, five, six, so they start, they may not be able to take in music notation. But the five-finger position really kind of locks them into this, which finger do I play as opposed to what yep. notes do I play? I have that in my studio all the time. I'm yeah. sure. It's, it's a law. <laughs> and then the other problem is that it locks you out physically, and it creates this lack of large muscle motion which only comes with moving the hand, not the fingers. So I find that I get students that come from other teachers for years having been very tense in their arms. And that is a process that's very, very difficult to reverse. And of course, it's understandable that some teachers sometimes neglect the large arm movement and the relaxation of the arm because teaching piano is very difficult. There are so many things to consider. There's the rhythm, you know, there's the notes. So you can't really do everything at once, yet the five-finger position really unfortunately freezes my students or mm -hmm. the other people's students into what I call the chicken wings. You know, the elbows are kind of pressed to the torso, and we're always in the same spot. And it's just like teaching a gymnast, you know, not to move their knees or their elbows. Mm -hmm. So that is um, unfortunately something that uh, I really would like to get the message out there for. Um, and of course, there are some really good methods, but for example, the Faber and Faber method has kind of a double series. They have, you know, book A and book B, and depending on, I guess, your student's level, they will advance to moving the hand off of the position or not. But I really think that from the get-go, uh, children should have the opportunity to move their arms all along the keyboard, not just in special exercises for that, but in playing good music that they enjoy. I completely feel both of those points you mentioned. In my studio, I am constantly trying as hard as I can to not have students associate specific fingers with specific notes. And this issue of being locked in place is also so true. I uh, recently had Arielle Weiss on the podcast, who's an Alexander technique specialist, and she talked about the importance of free torso rotation and initiating a lot of the rotation of the piano from the torso. And you can't really do that if you're just in one position the whole time. It, it does sort of lead students to want to freeze up in the way you're describing and lose kind of that fluidity that comes with torso rotation that you get when you move over the piano. 
Um, and that makes sense that these transcriptions you were you do of pieces that were not originally for a piano would freely go from different hand positions. Uh, another advantage of a lot of these easy piano arrangements that we're describing is they can serve as a springboard to get students to be further interested in learning about the real pieces that these transcriptions and arrangements were based on. To that effect, you've created playlists as part of a Classical for Kids initiative on Twitter. Can you speak about the importance of encouraging our students to listen to music as well as just perform it and how you've worked to help with this through your playlists and this Twitter initiative? Of course, I'd love to because I feel very passionately about that part of uh, upbringing of a child to be a future music lover. Um, as opposed to a future musician, because let's face it, you know, we piano teachers are going to hopefully um, give rise to a lot of professional pianists, but realistically, we just, uh, most of our students are going to end up being music lovers and being able to play the piano, but not be professional musicians. So the state of classical music appreciation, as we all know, uh, is really declining and in my mind, um, the one way to ensure that your children are going to go back to listening classic, to classical music and to going to concerts, perhaps even, is um, to have them be exposed to the sound of different classical pieces at home while they're doing their drawing, maybe their homework, while you're eating breakfast. So I created uh, some playlists on social media, but on Spotify and iTunes, and uh, Classical for Kids is my twil Twitter handle, and when I have more time, I'm going to work a little bit more toward that. But basically, I um, would like to encourage parents to stream music at home for their children, and uh, I think they will greatly help music educators with that, because the school is not the only place where we need to learn about music. And um, through my years of teaching, I, I found that as many students that I had, um, there were pretty much as many parents as uh, as as many parents who thought that just giving them instrumental lessons is quote unquote exposing them to music. Um, <clears throat> when I went to school, we had not only music appreciation, music listening. We had to go to concerts, and of course, it's not possible for everyone to go to concerts. It's also expensive, and even music lessons are expensive because you need an instrument and you need to pay a certain amount of money a week. Um, yet the actual listening to music, which I think all young children, toddlers and young children, are absolutely receptive to any kind of music without lyrics. I think that perhaps people who grew up not listening to classical music and even sometimes use this for uh, this word elitist, which I really don't understand the meaning of as applied to this, if people haven't grown up listening to music without words, they maybe sometimes think that their children won't be able to either, but it's absolutely not true. So. Not only are the playlists important, but in connection with my Stepping Stones to Bach transcriptions, for example, um, the children can hear the piece that they're playing an excerpt from. And if they hear a piece such as Bach, which of course penetrates you, and you know there's some part of you that understand that this is really great music and makes you listen to it, then if they feel that they're playing the same thing, it really elevates their experience of music making, and they care more about what they're playing. So I created these playlists with the exact pieces that accompany my two Stepping Stones to Bach book. There are two books, each has 24 pieces, and I may do more because obviously Bach is this completely bottomless source of these types of work, but it takes time. So 
one can listen to the orchestral version or the instrumental version of the piece they're playing and really understand that they're playing a little piece of a much bigger, wonderful world of Bach's output. I also assume that would be great motivation to practice. They could feel like, oh, maybe one day I could play the real thing. Absolutely. And that's a great motivation for practice and also for adult students about whom I care very much as well. That is a wonderful thing because they already know the pieces and just being able to play them and probably not with as much work as children is really a wonderful experience. And I only learned that, you know, as you said, you learned many things by talking. I actually learned everything that I'm telling you by working on the Bach and then transcriptions because before I started working in the Brandenburgs, I was also pretty much just a keyboardist who sometimes played, you know, the violin sonatas, etc. So these are all new and wonderful things to me that I learned in the process of doing it, just like I learned what adults need by becoming an adult and understanding that I would like to have a pastime where I don't have to work for hours and hours to feel that I'm good at something. Mm -hmm. So all of the adult students that I've had really um, base their level of achievement, unfortunately, on a bar that's set way too high because they have recordings and concerts of these wonderful top-tier pianists. And there's a feeling of inadequacy, which is a little bit subtle and completely uncalled for, but it's there because adult students compare themselves to these people, yet for their own enjoyment, they want to play all the great masterpieces. So I think adult students really deserve a few more renditions for the keyboard of the great works they love that they don't have to sweat so much or think that they're not playing well enough because it produces tension. And as we talked before, tension is really not a good way to be when you play the piano and want to enjoy yourself, especially if you're a person who's at home during COVID and just wants to do something that makes right. you feel good, you know. Especially these days, we need things that make us feel good. Right. Well, we've been talking a lot about your arrangements kind of in the big picture and the abstract, but I would like to give our audience a more specific sense of what some of these arrangements are like. So I would love to play a little bit of it and simulate kind of what a lesson with you might look like on one of your arrangements. So on your website, you offer a sample page of an arrangement from Stepping Stones to Bach called, Ah, How Sweet Coffee Tastes. And um, I don't know if this offer still stands, but at least on social media, I saw that if someone contacts you through your website, you offer this arrangement for free. I don't know if that's still true. Well, I'm sure it is. There, there are several offers on my website, but okay. I am very much trying to encourage piano teachers to sample um, what there is. So, yes. yes. So I'd like to simulate uh, this. So I'm going to play the first 17 measures of this arrangement, and I'm going to try to play it the way that my high school students would play it. So I'm not going to butcher it, but I'm also maybe not going to be the most expressive. And I would love for you to simulate, let's say I was your student working with you on this. What sort of things would we do from here if your student came to you and played it like this? Um, and just so our listeners can know, there are clips on the internet of you playing this and playing it how you assume need it to be played.
So I kind of got the notes and rhythms, but maybe not so much beyond that. So what would be your next step in working with a student on that? Well, of course, I'd tell the student that was a really good job, and it sounds good, first of all, <laughs> to make him feel good. Um, and you did do a very nice job. And um, the first thing I would say is that this is an excerpt, actually, from a cantata, which was a fun cantata for Bach. It was not a religious work. It was a work about a girl who likes coffee. And this is actually an aria where she's thinking about how good coffee smells. So I think it's important to understand that and kind of feel light and happy and okay. uh, more in the mood of um, the feeling of the piece. And then, of course, as you mentioned before, um, there is an aria. So the right hand is actually a singing voice. So you need a lot of breaths. Think about the phrasing. Try to sing it uh, like a lot of teachers <clears throat> have this uh, sing through the melody and understand that this is a high female voice thinking about, ah, ah, I like my coffee. Ah, so okay. that automatically is going to fill you with a great way to interpret That's this. That's great. Can you give our listeners a sense of what you're up to now and also where they can go to learn more about you and the resources you offer for other piano teachers? Yes, I just finished recording the complete Bach partitas, and I have a draft of actually the orchestral suites, the four orchestral suites for piano for hands, which would be my next recording project once COVID is over and I can actually play with my partner, and a few other straight transcriptions for you know advanced pianos. So that's uh, my project for the next two or three years, I think. And... Um, as far as my transcriptions, some of them are published and some of them are at this point available on my website. Also, my cello suite recording is uh, available worldwide. It's streaming and it's for sale on Amazon and elsewhere. So is the uh, piano duets recording. And um, I have classical for kids with the four. The number four is my uh, Twitter handle where all of the playlists can be found on Spotify um, and iTunes. So really, my website, eleanorbyman.com, has all of my transcriptions, and I also have a newsletter, which I issue once a month, in which I always include a free download of one of my transcriptions. So I welcome piano teachers to subscribe and to get the downloads, which will hopefully give them an idea of new materials of Bach for their studios. All of these sound like really helpful resources. Thanks for everything you do. And Eleanor, thank you for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure. It was really interesting to answer your questions. Thanks. And thanks to all of you for listening to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time.